you're listening to Ingredipedia, a factual food fight podcast where each episode we choose an ingredient and we fight about it. I'm Ben Birchall and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Emily Naismith. Hello Emily. Hello. Was that too professional? That was pretty good. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll keep it going. All right. Good. Good. Um, just to balance it out though, I, am, I haven't had dinner. I'm just going to eat my egg egg salad sandwich that I, I got from... I don't mind the name that that you're eating an egg salad sandwich. It's more just what it looked like and that it came in one of those boxes from like 7-Eleven or... Also, it's night time. Uh, I would say that this sandwich was made for lunchtime. True. Did you get a discount? Uh, it was $4, so I think maybe... Uh, Wish me luck. Where'd you get it from? Woolworth. <laughs> no, Coles. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Never eat egg and mayo sandwiches on the podcast again, okay. audio-wise. And you need to apologise to the listeners now. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'll finish. I'll finish it after the episode. <laughs> it's, it's not really conducive to making making audio storytelling, so <laughs> I'll just put that away. But there is another reason that I'm eating an egg salad sandwich, mm. and it's because we're talking about bread today. That's right. We're talking about bread. And it was a really overwhelming topic. There's way too much to think about with bread, all the different types of bread. Yeah. It was also a listener suggestion. So thanks very much to Martin, who suggested bread. Uh, In his suggestion, he said, what's more basic than bread? (laughs) I bet there are heaps of facts about bread. You're not wrong, Martin. Did you know the colloquial word for bread in Egypt is the Arabic word for life? You can have that one for free. (laughs) <laughs> Although it's probably more of a Ben fact. Uh, I bet there are plenty of American Civil War <laughs> bread facts and Emily could do one on oven-baked dinner rolls. Yum. Yum. I didn't do that. And then he suggested a few other things, um, which I'm not going to give away because we're probably going to do them all. Martin, you get the podcast very well. All the points go to and Martin this week. Yep. Let's just say I'm not going to disappoint Martin <laughs> with my facts. So should we get into it? Yep. Let's go. All right, Ben, so I've got a piece of bread on a plate here with a knife. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hand it over to you oh. for you to cut in half. I know what's going on here. Mm. This Inspecting. Is a, this is a test. <laughs> Do I cut it diagonally? Well, what's it for is the question. Does it matter? Just cut it in half. All right. What does this say about me? I don't know what it says about <laughs> me. I cut the bread... All right. This bread's so not very cut fresh. It. It's not very fresh. <laughs> it's not the most expensive <laughs> loaf of bread I could have bought. Um, so Ben cut it into two triangles. He went, whoa, corner to corner. I did. Uh, I cut it on the diagonal. Yep. Um, that's also how I cut sandwiches. Um, but yeah, it, it is like divisive in society. I did a quick straw poll at Broadsheet today. I would have thought majority diagonal, mm. 50-50. 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you I'll tell you why I cut it on the diagonal. Mm-hmm. Is because you can be sure that it will be even. And when you when you're just cutting it down the middle, yeah. you're always estimating and you can be wrong either way and then you got to decide do you eat the big side first, the small side first? It's mm. too much to think about. So That's interesting. I let uh, geometry take care of it for me. Mine's more an aesthetic thing. Like I 
I've always had triangle sandwiches, sandwiches and I remember when my dad, the first time my dad made me, this, me a sandwich and he cut it into rectangles. I'm like, no, yeah. this is just wrong. Yeah. It doesn't look delicious anymore. Maybe it's because it's trapped in with crusts. Um, yeah, it just doesn't look as appealing. Okay. It looks a bit locked in. Yeah, and triangles are aesthetic. Yeah, they're, that's you know, true. They're, 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 they're the strongest shape there mm. is. Anyway... I didn't want to just rely on what I think, what I thought. I, I wanted to look into it a, it a bit deeper. Um, I knew it probably had to do with Pythagoras or something, but I didn't know <laughs> quite exactly what it was. And luckily there was a really great NPR radio story on this debate. Um, the story is called Rectangles versus Triangles, the Great Sandwich Debate from All Things Considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and they spoke to an architect who said, the diagonal exposes more of the interior of the sandwich therefore engaging more of your senses before taking the first bite. Mm. Um, and then they also spoke to a chef who said the human eye is always searching for symmetry, symmetry, and you're more likely to spot a fault in a four-sided shape than a three-sided shape. That's, that's not a – Ben's what? holding up the, the, the Coles sandwich and it's – it's not not appealing. No, it's not. It's <laughs> neither s- rectangle nor square. <laughs> it's it's kind of a ro- a rhomboid. Yeah, I'm going to put this away now. It's making me feel a bit ill. Um, and but I thought a really interesting um observation was a food editor called Kempf Minifi, um, who said first the narrower corner, which can be delicately placed in the mouth or shoveled in, when lunchtime is limited. Limited, And if you're not a crust lover, rejoice. The long, crustless hypotenuse gives you a very ample entrance into the softer, meatier part of the sandwich. Um, But my favourite part was when they spoke to a mathematician um, who said, the amount of crust on a sandwich does not change no matter how you cut it, but the amount of surface area without crust can change depending on how many times you cut it and in which direction. If your bread's square... And if each side is four inches long, you have 16 inches of crust. Cut that bread down the middle and you get eight inches of crust-free surface. Cut that same bread diagonally Mm. and you end up with almost 11 inches of crustless surface, which is a substantial increase. So I think when you eat a sandwich diagonally, you obviously eat all the bit without the crust first and it's a bit more of a satisfying experience and then you can eat the crust. Mm. You're assuming that people don't want to eat the crust, though. Yeah. Um, Which is probably a good assumption. Well, it's probably easier for you to get equal crust to non-crust with a diagonal cut anyway, if you did want to, you know, be a bit more even. Hmm. Anyway, they also said that three is more popular than four in culture and that um, Plato declared the isosceles triangle to be the basic building block of the universe in his theory of everything. So that's why people who cut their sandwiches into triangles are superior. So we're on the same side for once. For once, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's go from slicing bread to sliced bread. Okay. Um, You know the the saying, it's the the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Do you know where it comes from? No, maybe when they first started slicing bread? Mm, a little bit after that. Let's go back in time though, because bread has been around for 30,000 years or so. Um, but machine sliced bread doesn't even go back 100 years. It's relatively new in, in the 
uh, in the annals of time. Uh, the first automatically sliced commercial loaves were produced on July 6, 1928 in Chillicothe, Missouri, using a machine invented by Otto Rowetter, an Iowa-born Missouri-based jeweler. Uh, he, his quest to make sliced bread a reality was not without its challenges. A 1917 fire destroyed his prototype and blueprints, and he also faced skepticism from bakers who thought factory sliced loaves would quickly go stale or fall apart. Nevertheless, in 1928, Rowood's rebuilt power-driven multi-bladed bread slicer was put into service at his friend Frank Bench's Chillicothe Baking Company. So 1928, a jeweler makes... well. He'd been he'd been working on it for years. One of the things that slowed him down was the fire. The other thing was uh, uniform uh, shaped, easily sliceable bread that wouldn't go stale. So a lot of that didn't happen until uh, until the more commercial kind of wonder bread style, that real spongy white bread that I have mm. a loaf of right here. It springs right back. That's how you know that it has absolutely no goodness mm-hmm. in it. Um, that style of bread uh, was what made. Uh, these these multi-bladed bread slices commercially possible. So, 1928, that happens. The um, the Constitution Tribune from Missouri had a. It was on the front page. It was it was front page news. It, it talks about the uh, machine gently but rapidly pushes a loaf through a series of alternating blades, which slice the entire loaf simultaneously. There is no crumbling and no crushing of the loaf, and the result is such that the housewife can well experience a thrill of pleasure. When she first sees a loaf of this bread, with each slice the exact counterpart of its fellows. One of the things they say in this article is that it's the best thing since wrapped bread, which, uh, you know, wrapping bread in paper was was relatively new then. So uh, that could be the start of that saying. And if uh, so, that the first bit of article that comes from history.com, uh, the first bit of the fact there. Moving on to the Atlantic, who talk about the phrase, where the, where the phrase comes from. Um, the common phrase, the best thing since sliced bread, as a way of hyping a new product or invention, may have come into use based on an advertising slogan for Wonder Bread, which was the first commercial manufacturer of pre-wrapped, pre-sliced bread. With such products rapidly penetrating the American home, automated bread making was not only an invention ben- benchmark, but also a key indicator of the mechanization of daily life from the 1930s onwards. So uh, that that's where the, the saying possibly came from. And the first documented reference, this is from todayifoundout.com, uh, of the exact phrase, the best thing since sliced bread, is thought to be in a 1952 interview where the famous comedian Red Skelton advised the Salisbury Times to not worry about television. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. A lot of facts in there. So much, so much history. Martin, you're welcome. So have you heard of um, someone called Breadface? No. Well, it's pretty much my favourite Instagram account. It's called Breadface Blog. Um, And basically it's a woman who buys different types of bread, sets up her camera on a bench, plays a song and then smashes her face into the different... (laughs) bread products is it um, the same song or no different different songs okay. that can kind of suit the bread or it's just kind of like a mood setting thing but basically yeah just smushing her face into the bread and each one goes for about 10 seconds um and she has more than two hundred thousand followers so people people love it um so if you're listening to the podcast now you should look up bread face blog so you know what i'm talking about it's really 
It's really good. So she's done all different types of bread. There's probably, I don't know, there's probably over 100 videos on her account. So there's like white loaves, pumpernickel bread, cornbread, pretzels, croissants. Pretzels would hurt. I know. Like heavily seeded bread as well. And there's a really great interview with her on Maxim where she answers what her favourite and least favourite breads are. And she said her favourite was the Kaiser roll, which I think is like a Vienna roll. Mm. Wonder bread, what you were saying before, because it's so squishy. Mm. Naan and tortillas. And her least favourite, she says, well, she says the seeded ones are rough on my skin, but I love seeing the visible irritation and going through my skincare ritual to calm everything down. And if you watch the videos, it actually looks really satisfying. So I brought some bread for us to try it. Um, and it's what great timing with like a hundred people that There's keep walking people past, walk the studio. past the studio that we're in. But it's okay. It's okay. You can, um, I brought I bought you your own loaf. Oh, okay. So. Well, I've got a loaf here. Oh yeah. So maybe put it on your laptop case so we don't get um, bread everywhere. Okay. Ah, oh, so I take the bread you out. Take the bread out and okay. line it up so it's. Well, you can actually do it either way. You could do it standing up tall, but I'm going to do it horizontal because okay. I think that's the best, going to match my face, right. my facial surface area. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, should, are we doing it at the same time? Um, well, I'll go first so you know what to do. Do we need music? No. Okay. I think that. Uh, we could play the Ingridopedia theme song <laughs> while we do it by the talented Jared Brown. <laughs> I'm just going to imagine the theme song. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Same time? It's like before you um, dive into a pool when yeah. it's freezing. Okay. We'll do it at the same time. You just smash your face in, but then roll your face. Ah, smash and roll. No, I'm going to watch yeah. you do it, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to film you so that I don't get it wrong. Okay. 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 You smashed. She's rolling... Yeah. Whoa. Um, okay. Walking past. Yep. Yep. Okay. There's okay, stop now. There's really no <laughs> Yeah. There's a there's a lot a lot of things just went on there. Um How did it feel? It was It didn't hurt. <laughs> Definitely an intense bread experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now your turn. Alright. It's pretty satisfying. Okay. Your bread looks a little bit not as soft. Mm. <laughs> it's not very fresh. It's a bit like my, my dinner sandwich. All right. <laughs> Your skin actually looks better now. <laughs> I feel rejuvenated. I think the uh, the sugars in this in this very very highly <laughs> processed white bread. You glad you did it? I I. I guess so. I got crumbs. <laughs> I've got crumbs in my eyebrows. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I it's guess kind it was, of exfoliating. I guess. Yeah. Um, are we gonna have like two hundred thousand <laughs> followers now? I think that's how it works. Excellent. Okay. Well, while we've got bread out, <laughs> I'd like to keep it out. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about DIY because there's nothing that bread can't do. Um, so maybe some might say that the D in this DIY stands for dough. I'm just pouring some milk on this bread and I'm going to let that soak while I tell you 
why I've just done this. So um, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the internet about non-food uses for bread. So there's one article from um, the from Bustle the web website, which goes off to a whole bunch of other sources. But so it's all over the internet. Things that you can do with bread. So one of the things is remove stains. Sometimes cleaning requires products full of chemicals and bleach that will destroy everything in, in its path. Other times, though, you'll be just fine with a natural cleaner. In fact, you may even be better off. According to Country Living, bread is an excellent natural cleaner. White bread or rye bread rolled into a ball, let's do that now, is basically an eraser that can lift stains off walls, wallpaper, kitchen cabinets, and more. The site advises dabbing gently at the surface with the rolled up bread ball. I've just made a bread ball. <laughs> and you'll notice the smudges and marks disappear. I don't have any smudges or marks um. around me. Uh, well, there's, not, there's someone that where the door Okay, is. I'm going to try and take off some scuff yeah. marks. <laughs> no, it's just getting crumbs on the carpet. You should stop now. Taking a fingerprint. Not really. I think you're just imagining that. <laughs> it's not really working. But good try. Okay, the, the, the bread ball didn't work particularly well, but uh, there's more uses. So other than removing stains, you can pick up broken glass. You can cut onions without crying, apparently. If you put a piece of bread in your mouth while cutting, it will absorb <laughs> the sulfates that cause the tears. I imagined you putting slices over your eyes. <laughs> you can clean old paintings. We don't have any old paintings here. Apparently, they use that on the Sistine Chapel. But the one I want to try, because I actually have one, remove splinters. Oh. I genuinely have a splinter in my finger. It's just a little one, but persistent. So they say... Uh, According to the Farmer's Almanac, you soak bread in cool milk. That done, actually done looks that. disgusting. It's really gross. Then oh. you uh, press out the milk. You apply bread to the affected area. I really wish I'd brought some napkins. And then you fix it there. So I've got some Band-Aids here. The bread's really wobbly. I think it's going to drop. No, it's good. It's stuck. <laughs> no, because, but the end bit of the bread. Because I've made a poultice, apparently. That's, w that's what this is. It's kind of a mushy goo <laughs> of bread. Now I, I attach that to my finger <laughs> with a Band-Aid. So that's, that's on there now. And now I just leave that on there overnight. And... Uh, apparently, after the splinter will have risen close to the surface of your skin, uh, or if it's not that deep of a splinter, it may be removed from your skin completely. Easy peasy. Wow. So You really need to leave that on and we need it before and after photo. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a soggy piece Are of milk Are you dedicated bread. to the podcast? I don't think story. I am. <laughs> leave it on for the rest of the I'll episode. I'll leave it on for the rest of the episode. And, and then make it a cold. We'll it see. might dry up. It might be. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Do you remember the first time you had fairy bread? Uh, I don't think I could really put it down yeah. to the first time. Me neither. But because um, like you kind of feel like you grow up with it at parties. Yeah. But I do remember the first time I had fairy bread with chocolate oh, sprinkles yeah. instead of hundreds and thousands. Um, and that was at Kathleen's house after school one day. And that wasn't a special occasion. So really? that really blew my mind. Kathleen. Um, 
So for any international <laughs> listeners, fairy bread is a uniquely Australian thing. Basically, it's cheap white bread slathered with butter and then rainbow hundreds and thousands on top. And I think hundreds and thousands is an Australian term, but mm. like rainbow sprinkle. sprinkles. Yeah. Cut into triangles, very important. Served at parties. In fact, it's the best thing about kids' parties if you get to the fairy bread as soon as the glad wraps lifted off mm. without any kids' germs on it. Yeah. And do you remember a few years ago when an American website said it was a delicacy eaten for breakfast in Australia? No. And they were, they were serious they, and someone had told them that. Based on that, I wanted to find out what was the origin of fairy bread. Yeah. So I actually looked it up on that Australian Food Timeline website, which you've um, spoken about before. Love that site. The first reference to it was in the Hobart Mercury in 1929. Um, the article was referring to a party for children at the Consumptive Sanatorium, which I think was like a long-term hospital for sick kids. Mm. And the article said, the children will start their party with fairy bread and butter and hundreds and thousands and cakes and tarts and homemade cakes. It sounds like a great party, <laughs> but it's not clear whether that's the fairy bread we know today or whether when they said fairy bread, they just meant the bread itself, not with the butter and sprinkles. Because in the 1920s, the name fairy bread was more commonly applied to very thin slices of bread, slowly crisped in the oven and served with soups or savoury dishes, um, what some people would perhaps call Melba toast. I never even knew what Melba toast was, but Mm. apparently that's what Melba toast is. Okay. So the first actual reference to fairy bread as we know it was in, of course, advertising, where all great inventions start. (laughs) Um, And the ad was for the Plaisto Confectionery Company of Perth in 1921. Um, It's not a great ad. Basically, it's just a black and white list of of, um, things you can make with their products. But it says for the use of hundreds and thousands, you can amuse the little ones with hundreds and thousands on bread and butter. And that makes fairy bread. And basically, kids around Australia have been amused ever since. Um, And within seven years, fairy bread was a thing all around Australia. Um, And I guess at the moment, we're surrounded by three bread three loaves of white bread and our, I'm really our faces have been pushed into two yeah. of the loaves though well I could have my loaf and put butter and hundreds of thousands on it and I would be still fine. like okay. that yeah so I'm, I'm really regretting not bringing the butter and hundreds and thousands um maybe I could band-aid it to my finger and maybe not I felt like you were really uncomfortable during that fact, just looking at all the people looking past like they know that you have bread on your finger. I'm reasonably sure that anybody walking past would would know that I have milk-soaked bread band-aided to my finger. Mm. And I'm okay with it. (laughs) Okay, well, look, I know what you're thinking, Emily. I know what Martin's thinking. I know what all the listeners are thinking. What kind of bread did they eat during the American Civil War? Yes, everybody is thinking that. (laughs) Well, you'll be happy to know uh, that bread was incredibly rare and expensive due to inflation uh, drought. There was a drought during the American Civil War as well, which didn't help. And uh, to the Union blockades that we've talked about in the past that made salt and flour incredibly hard to come by, particularly in the middle of the country, a long way from from shipping ports. Um, We talked about that in the salt episode that people actually uh, scraped the... The, the scrapings off butchers' floors so that they could reuse the salt from uh, from the salted meats. Um, it was so rare that there were the something called the Southern Bread Riots, which was civil unrest uh, perpetrated mainly by women who were protesting 
the lack of food for their hungry families and the price of bread. So with bread, uh, as we know, it's so hard to come by, particularly for soldiers. The answer was hard tack. As in? Well, hard tack is a, is a type of very, very hard biscuity bread. Uh, it's also known as cabin bread, pilot bread, sea biscuit, soda crackers, sea bread, ship's biscuit, or during World War One by Australian New- and New Zealand soldiers as Anzac wafers, which aren't as delicious as no. Anzac biscuits in any way. Um, hardtack is, yeah, basically a dried biscuity bread baked up to four times to last during a long sea journey or a military campaign. Uh, and it was designed so that it, it, you could just basically keep it hard for years. Um, the soldiers and sailors would have to soak it in brine Mm. or coffee or just plain water if they had it to soften it enough to eat it. Uh, and one of the, the good uh, side effects uh, and the kind of side benefits of having to soak uh, the, uh, the hardtack in hot liquid was that insect infestation was common in improperly stored provisions and so soldiers would break up their hard hardtack and drop it in their morning coffee and this would not only soften the hardtack but the insects mostly weevil larvae would float to the top and the soldiers could skim off the insects and resume resume consumption uh, some men also turned hardtack into a mush by breaking it up with blows from their rifle butts then adding water if they had a frying pan they could cook the mush into a lumpy pancake otherwise they dropped the mush directly on the coals of their campfire uh, or you could also mix hardtack with brown sugar, hot water, and sometimes whiskey to create what they called a pudding to serve mm. as dessert. That oh, sounds alright. Sounds okay. But I, I know what you're asking. What does 153-year-old incredibly hard bread taste like? Mm. Well, thank God for the internet and for MREinfo.com <laughs> and its YouTube host, Steve1989. Uh, let's go to the... Let's go to the YouTubes. Uh, we've got some video here of Steve trying some genuine American Civil War hardtack. All right, we got a really special one this time. Civil War hardtack. We do have something pretty amazing here where it looks like it may still be edible. So he's got some genuine 153-year-old hardtack that he first tries just eating it kind of dry just like like crunching into it like a like a biscuit so hold on it's actually 153 years old and mm-hmm. he ate it yeah wow yeah yeah let me just find find the uh the moment of consumption Ooh. that doesn't sound fresh oh. <laughs> mm. it tastes like mothballs <laughs> And just to describe um, Steve, well, 1989, for the listeners. Uh, very bland. It, it is bland. Uh, there, he's surrounded with military paraphernalia. Uh, he's wearing like a kind of American singlet. And he's got big guns. But for some reason, he has Phil Collins' No Jacket Required, <laughs> the album cover just propped behind him. So I think that says a lot about Civil War enthusiasts. Uh Big Phil Collins fans. So uh, he, he's eaten it dry and then he gives it a crack soaked in coffee. Is it the worst thing I've ever eaten? No. I've had biscuits that were 65 years newer. 
that were worse than this. So goes to show sometimes, especially if it's stored properly. In this case, I mean, it smells and tastes like mothballs. I can assume it was actually stored in an area with mothballs to all those years, you know, to prevent, you know, various critters from coming in and eating the stuff. So that's so interesting. It's I not. A, it's not a bad review for a hundred and fifty-three year old bread. Yeah, I didn't know you could eat biscuits that were that old. That's more what I got out of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're never throwing out biscuits again. <laughs> well, thank you to Steve, nineteen eighty-nine, for eating. 153 year old piece of bread so we don't have to so what did we talk about i spoke about whether you cut bread into triangles or rectangles i spoke about sliced bread and why it's the best thing since itself then i spoke about bread face uh then i spoke about bread diy and i attached some soggy Mm. Milk bread to my finger. It's still there. Hmm. Um, and then I looked into fairy bread and the origins. And I looked into Civil War bread and spoke <laughs> about hard tack. Can, yeah. I, can I take this thing off my finger now? Um, is it dry? Um, no, it's still quite wet. Well, let's see if the splinter came out. Oh, my <laughs> finger is covered in bread paste. Splinter's still there. Do I have to put it back on? <laughs> Yes. Uh, thanks very much to Martin for suggesting bread. Uh, you too can suggest an ingredient at ingredipedia.com and you can also vote for your favourite uh, group of facts, your favourite loaf of facts at uh, on Instagram Yeah, ingredipedia. Um, and I'd just like to take this opportunity to do a community service announcement. This isn't a fact. This is just something that's bread-related that I want to get off my chest. Um Bread goes stale six times faster in the fridge than at room temperature. Really? So to anyone that keeps their bread in the fridge, um, you should cease to do cease doing that and store it in a dark place immediately. I think you should have started the episode with this. Why? Is that do you keep bread in the fridge? No, I just feel like that people do. And yeah. Well, you can see why they would, because like freezer keeps bread fresh, yeah. kind of. And a fridge is colder than room temperature so it might keep it slightly fresh but no it, it makes it makes it spoil quicker wow okay well community service announcement don't vote for it based on that that wasn't a fact <laughs> talk to you next time